I forget my lyrics. I start kicking the speakers. I'm thinking I bombed or whatever. I get off stage. She like, Dell, man, you killed them, Dell. They thought that was the craziest show ever. Like, here it comes. Hey, here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, a show about the legends from the golden era of hip hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. Now, there are many different genres that contribute to the sounds of hip-hop in the early 90s. There's everything from jazz to kung fu. And for a lot of black families who had moved from the South into other parts of the country, particularly the West Coast, the sound growing up was funk. Utilizing sounds from artists like George Clinton was a way to stand out. One artist that did this in a unique way was today's subject. Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. He used all of his influences from George Clinton to cartoons, comedians to everyday life. All of this would go into creating one of the most unique MCs we've ever heard. My name is uh, Taryn Delvon Jones. And he was born in one of America's greatest cities, Oakland, California. 1972. This was the year that the Oakland A's won the World Series and shocked the entire country. Oakland has won the 1972 World Series. And this was also a time where the Black Panther Party in Oakland was trying to solidify power. First, organized the Black Panther Party for self-defense. He would say, Bobby, he says, we're going to draw up a basic platform. This was in response to police brutality. To contain the misery and violence of the ghetto, Oakland's all-white police department earned a reputation for head-knocking brutality. And make no mistake, there was plenty of violence on the streets of Oakland. There definitely was an element of the streets there. I just wasn't into it that much. I think I was in my own world, to tell you the truth. His mom worked as a clerk for the Oakland Police Department, and his father worked in a manufacturing plant. But it was paying some cool bread, I guess, so he was able to move me off of the flats in Oakland up to the hills in Oakland. Not hella far up in the hills, like just on the bottom rung of it, but high enough to keep me out of direct angle with the street, because I think that that had to have been a concern with my parents. His parents did the best they could to keep him in a safe and nurturing environment. But I had a lot of free time on my hands because I was a latchkey kid. A term that's fallen out of favor these days, but there's a whole generation of kids that knows exactly what it's like to be independent when they got out of school. From like first grade, I was walking home from school. Like I just was kind of advanced. So like if you showed me the route to the school and gave me a key, I could be responsible enough to get myself home and unlock the door and get in the house. So like my mom would be working all damn day or whatever. And that would leave young Taryn doing his own thing. Sometimes I'd even go to school, to tell you the truth. Because, you know, like, all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons would start coming on. Because all the sick ones would come on, you know, when I had to go to school. Like, Touche Tortoise. Pumpkin Push and Mush Mouse. Now I wonder what Mush Mouse is up to and about. Leia, I've been training for weeks, and now I'm ready to take on that ornery fucking pug. Beyond Yogi Bear and Flintstone, beyond the Jetsons, I was like, ooh, this is raw. I'm like, this is next level. And even when he wasn't skipping school and just coming home on his own, he still explored that sense of freedom. What I would do is I'd go to the street, and I'd go to the candy store, you know what I'm saying, trying to get like 300 pieces of big blows or some shit. And between him and his younger brother, he got in a lot of trouble. They was just hella on me. But I'd be doing hella shit too. Like I'd just be doing dumb shit. I remember I had Silly Putty and my father, he had like pro photography shit, like pro cameras and shit. I found one of his cameras laying around and stuck Silly Putty all in the like 
lens part up here where you look to see, you know what I'm saying? Like put it all where the film was at. I think he tried to kill me, like literally. Like I think my mother had to save me actually, he was so mad. But it wasn't his trouble that would bring most of the negativity in the home. Pretty young, he was watching his parents break up. There's a lot of drama going on after a while, so I don't even really remember that much besides drama. He was witnessing the demise of his parents' marriage. Like, they separated when I was at a young age, so like... This was something that he understood for some reason, but his little brother didn't take it so well. He was crying and shit. He was a baby, though, you know what I'm saying? But on top of that, he just didn't really get it. And after some time passed, their home dynamic was completely different. I, I damn near never seen my dad at that point. He tried to be around, but moms would be, would be hating, talking shit about him, all kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? And he was already a latchkey kid, but now he was in a one-parent home. I, I was basically not not attended to a lot of the time. And naturally, that had an effect on school. So, you know, the teacher might wonder why I'm acting a certain way in school, but, like, if all this shit is happening at home, quite naturally, I'm not going to be able to come to school prepared to fucking learn nothing or, like, sit in my, at my desk still or none of this shit, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, back then, they would just be like, okay, stick them in the dumbhead section. Back then, there wasn't a lot of emphasis on balance between home and school. And he was a pretty advanced kid. He was interested in cartoons, but he was also interested in things like computers. So Pops, he would come through with shit like that because he always kind of was, like, futuristic. And it wasn't just technology. It was culture. All that culture and shit I picked up from Pops. He used to have, like, art shows back in the, like, early 80s and shit, like abstract paintings. So, like... That's where I get a lot of that from. And his father's indulgence in arts and culture extended to music. He stay up on shit. Reggae, jazz. Oh, he used to play a lot of jazz in the house. A lot of funk. Parliament Funkadelic probably left the biggest impression at first because it kind of scared me because they was just so to the, to the left. This is a chance. I just was like, what is this? Like, probably like a lot of the U.S. And then, you know, later on, I peek like, okay, this is just super funk. So, like, I just start gravitating towards that because it just speaks to my nature more. Like I said, I was addicted to cartoons. So anything that was, like, outrageous cartoon-like, like extreme, like with an exclamation point on the end of it, like I was into that. So when hip-hop came, it was just part of that. As the 70s turned into the 80s, the remnants of funk were all around them. And it was hard to ignore this new thing that was happening. All the cool kids, I guess you could say, or all the cools that was like on the block or in the street, they all listened to a certain type of music. And we just pretty much called it the beat. And it was pretty much derived off of funk. And at that point, funk had become hella more like uh, synthesizers and like drum machines. So like you might get some shit where it's just damn near a drum machine and some vocals over it. And then and some too short thrown in for good measure because too short had like tapes he was selling on the block. So if you really knew somebody really hip, their older brother or something might have one of them too short tapes.
In the early 80s, between the legacy of funk and two short tapes, the seeds of musical storytelling were being deposited into his young brain. But looking back, even in the 80s, his father had something to do with that as well. Like in the 70s, it was like a thing to like be having all these like social parties at your house and shit. That was cracking at my house a lot due to my father. Like, So they would all get together and they would play comedy albums. So the first rap to me probably would be like a Richard Pryor or Red Fox or Dolomite. He actually was rapping over a beat. That Dolomite went on down to Kansas City, kicking asses to both shoes for shit. Yeah. Which to me, that that's like rapping, you know what I'm saying? So it was just always some shit I should not have been listening to. But I knew it was real. I'd be around my father and his partners and how they really be talking like when it ain't no white people around. It'd be certain little nigga shit that'd be happening, you know what I'm saying, that you'd never see on TV ever. So like that's really what really intrigued me at first. And then hip-hop kind of was like an addition to that. He started hearing hip-hop, and it became evident that this was a way to express himself. Like the average song might say a, like maybe like seven words. But when he started to hear MCs rocking the mic, he understood that there was a lot more that could be done. In contrast to genres like blues and jazz, he would hear MCs on the microphone delivering bar after bar. Just every second, it's like, damn, okay, he said this, he said this, that was crazy, damn, that was crazy. Nothing else was like that except for somebody like a Richard Pryor or Red Fox. That was the only thing close to somebody talking shit like that and getting away with it. And that meant a lot to a kid who didn't see examples of himself represented in the media. It was just everything that 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 Prince wasn't. It was everything that Michael Jackson wasn't at the time. You know what I'm saying? Like, that shit was fake to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, why Why you got to do all this and assimilate and do all this to be accepted? Like, and that ain't even really what we rocking. You know what I'm saying? The shit that we really rocking, it ain't getting seen like that. You know, nobody thought that the hip-hop experience and shit was going to be shit. But little did they know, hip-hop was moving in for good. And eventually, West Coast hip-hop would take off. West Coast artists like N.W.A. were about to make their mark in the hip-hop game. And fortunately for Dell, he was in close proximity to an icon. Coming up, young Taron Delvon Jones becomes Dell the Funky Homo Sapien. And his career gets a jump start with help from his cousin, the one, the only, Ice Cube. Then later, he and some childhood friends start a legendary rap group, one that would inspire hip-hop from 93 till infinity. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Little Giants, Giant Shorties. I've got a few kids living in my house, and I can tell you, their energy is something you can't suppress. When it comes to expressing themselves, you've got to let them shine. They are the culture, so why not let them dress like them? Shopping WeAreLittleGiants.com gives you access to plenty of options for styling your little shorty with the same authenticity you reserve for yourself. Find t-shirts, hoodies, shoes, onesies, and much more. Honestly, you'll be jealous they don't have your size. WeAreLittleGiants.com has designs that speak to the love we've had for hip-hop since we were kids ourselves. You'll be passing along your passion for the culture when you see your little giant rocking this most definitely t-shirt I'm about to cop for my son or this notorious RBG hoodie for my daughter. Slide through. Literally slide down the spiral slide and land in their flagship store ball pit at 4675 Hollywood Boulevard. Peace. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. 
They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So... What makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back. Young Taryn Delvon Jones was a kid from Oakland. And at this point in our story, it's the mid-80s. And his worldview was being shaped by his surroundings. Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Funk artists like George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. Comedians like Rudy Ray Moore, Red Fox, and Richard Pryor. And this was evident everywhere he went, including school. And school is where he would meet future Souls of Mischief members, A+, and Tajay. I met A+, somebody was bullying him, like I think at the water fountain. And he was hella small, you know what I'm saying? So fools was like picking on him and shit. And like, I just stepped to him like, why don't you leave him alone? And we just both was on some nerd shit. So like his father had computers at his house too. And he had like video games at his house too early on where other kids probably didn't have shit like that. Plus New Tajay on a different level because they kind of live close to each other. And it wasn't long until this bond over technology turned into a bond over hip hop. Me and A Plus found out about Run DMC and probably lost our minds. And like, I think that from that point, I think me and him was trying to write little raps and Tajay too. You can actually go hear Tajay's version of how it all came together for him and how he fell in love with hip hop on his episode of Fresh Ever that we did last season. But as for Dell, when he made this decision, he made the decision to go all in. But this wasn't like saying he wanted to be a lawyer. To the rest of the world, it sounded like he was headed for failure. Niggas are telling me that my life was over. Like, why is you wasting your life doing all this hip hop shit? Like, you don't never go to class. You just going to be a failure. Like, what's your parents say like you ain't going to college huh you loser fools would actually be coming at me like that like but like it was just a lifestyle like if you was into that that was the life that was part of how you lived your life and a part of living your life in hip-hop meant he could be himself without compromising that was a way where i could be around these kids that i like to be around and not be having to like trying to pimp a bitch or trying to fucking sell no dope or trying to be the hardest gangster like they respected it if you, if you could rhyme and then you know not get beat up and all this other shit. He was finding acceptance in hip-hop, and that acceptance wasn't just relegated to Oakland. He would actually take his love for hip-hop all the way down to Los Angeles. Like, most of my family transported from the South to Los Angeles. So, like, a lot of my family, especially on my mother's side, is in Los Angeles. So every year, he would take a trip down to L.A. to be with his cousins. One of those cousins was O'Shea Jackson, a.k.a. Ice Cube. And on his trips down to Los Angeles, he would bring his rhymes. And while his cousin Q was off doing his own thing. Yeah, I'm fucking with bitches. You just leave me like at the house or whatever. Dale was hanging out with the next door neighbor, a future producing legend and cousin of Dr. Dre. 
Sir Jinx. He was into the same shit I was into still. Like, he wasn't too grown for remote control cars and shit like that. And then from that, I'm just kicking it, talking to him, then find out he got a group called Busy Boy Productions, and, you know, he he do shit with Cube or whatever. He, like, a major player. And this is where things started to get really interesting when it came to his hip-hop journey. He showed me everything about all the little hidden production tricks about hip-hop. That's when I start really making songs. I think Jinx just seen something in me. And that something was obsession and work ethic. I just wrote a lot. He had people that was down with him that they was dope too. But it just seemed like I would be producing way quicker and like just way more like gung-ho about it. Like I was like into the shit. Like for real, for real. Like crazy about the shit. And little did he know, he had already been preparing to learn this world of music production. I already was fucking with computers. So like the SP-1200 was like a very basic computer, basically. And even though he was locked in with Sir Jinx, when it came to his cousin Ice Cube, he had some convincing to do. And I, I, I would attribute a lot of success to being around Cube. Through proximity of being around Cube, just being around some real motherfuckers. You know what I'm saying? There was even times where Cube kind of was like, he weird, you know what I'm saying? Like whatever. And then they peep me, and they like, geez, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, he ain't weird. He, he cool actually. He the partner actually. They didn't have to worry about this other shit because I was just on some other shit. For him, there was a lot of joy in creating music with Sir Jinx in L.A. And that joy was infectious. He would work as hard as he could. And before you know it, we had a cool little demo put together. Mr. Lovable. Mr. Lovable. You know why? Because the girls when it comes to me, Duck season. First, let me introduce myself. I'm DEO, the funky human being. When you see me in a function, I'm known to get extra crazy punching. It's analyzed. The nerve in is in your brain. It's not contained. The metaphors for your force. And I can let them sink in as fast as I can take them. The international or rational was about to pass a little food for thought. As I return excuses, reach into your medulla and I turn the juices like a blender. And as time went on, he eventually graduated high school. And his main focus was becoming a rapper. And as the 80s began to wind down, he saw his cousin Ice Cube blow up. Some of the greatest hits, he ran by me like, you know, fuck the police. I, I remember him giving me that rap. What you think about this? Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back because I'm brown. But as we all know, Ice Cube's tenure with N.W.A. ran out, leading Ice Cube to start his own thing. This included The Lynch Mob and a production company called Street Knowledge Productions. And Dell wanted to be a part of the fold. No, I had to pull his leg. Like, he was like, whatever, kid, you bother me. Like, I had to stay on him. And with that, he would do whatever he needed to do, including write for another artist. And around 1990, Ice Cube and Street Knowledge Productions were working with a young, strong female MC called Yo-Yo. And Dell was ready to be a team player. So Jinx working with Yo-Yo, I'm around. And Dell had something that Sir Jinx really respected. He dig when motherfucker could get busy with the lyrics and shit. So he like, yo, Yo-Yo needs some of this too. And I'm sitting there, so like for the experience or whatever, like, you think you could write this? And to be clear, he was co-writing with Yo-Yo. Together, they would come up with some ideas for the records. I could put myself in 
in that type of state of mind to write something for her. So, like, she was all about the intelligent black woman and all that, but she still was hood, though. In over at Street Knowledge Productions, the priority was releasing a successful record with Yo-Yo. And on March 19th, 1991, they did just that. And fortunately, Dell already had music ready to go. And given his work on Yo-Yo's record, plus the proximity to Ice Cube, he was an attractive prospect to record labels. Yeah, the bidding war came after Yo-Yo, and she was kind of successful with her shit. Cube is growing now. Okay, let's throw this motherfucker out now. And this my cousin, whoop de woo And with that, they were able to start a bidding war over Dell the Funky Homo Sapien off the strength of the success that Street Knowledge Productions had with Yo-Yo. So I think Electra was paying the most, but I think Electra also, I think, was offering the best home for me. And Electra Records at the time was being run by Dante Ross. Dante really from that cloth. Like, he do the graffiti probably was dancing too and don't want to admit it. And all of this meant a whole lot to Dell, who was really into hip-hop and knew that he was going to need support in order to pull off what he had in mind. It was like an honor for me to be on Electric and then for them to all be cool with me how they was, like, you know what I'm saying? Everybody was cool with me. Everybody helped me realize whatever vision I had artistically, even like, you know, with the logo, cover design, all that. They let me be a part of that. I would, I'd be hard-pressed to find another, like, hip-hop a label that supported hip-hop more than Electra. So the plan was for them to work on his debut album. With Sir Jinx, he had already recorded a demo. But now, with Street Knowledge Productions, he had the resources to actually go big. And in going big, he was gonna do it right. We ended up kind of building a theme around the funk and saving the funk. And that was after a few ideas that weren't really gonna work out. I had a lot of shit that was on some other shit. So I think Q was like, nah, man, like, Niggas ain't gonna like this. What do you mean? Like, this is jazz. Like, this is proven music through the ages. Like, what is you talking about? Like, to me, sound insane. I didn't get at that time what he's saying is, no, niggas is not gonna like this. Like, when the last time you heard somebody slapping some jazz down the street? They might not have been slapping jazz, but they were definitely slapping funk. All of that Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton made its mark. And not just on Dell, but on the entire generation that was coming up in the West Coast. Saving the funk was something that was gonna translate. And it wouldn't be long until Dell cemented his spot in hip-hop. Coming up, Dell the Funky Homo Sapien releases his debut album. And in the process, he gets to work with his hero. He makes a splash with his single, Mr. Dabalina. Then, along with his childhood friends in the Bay, they create a hip-hop movement. We'll be right back. Yo, what's the deal? You got the black sheep, D-R-E-S. Yes, and I want y'all to know, right here, right now, stupid-fly.com is the place to be. Yo, you got hats, got t-shirts and all kind of flyness that you can get your hands on not only that you can check out some of the flyest podcasts you've ever heard in your life and that would be stupid fly media on instagram and facebook why because they stupid fly all right <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to carvana it doesn't get any better than this your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. 
Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. Before the break, Taryn Delvon Jones became Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Hey, yo, Del. What? The fuck is a funky homo sapien? It's a human being, fool. A funky human being. Through his cousin Ice Cube's production company, he was creating his debut album. He was using all of his influences from the funk to inform the sound. But when it came to the title of the album, he resorted to childhood. Uh, Liberace, a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I wish my brother George was here. I don't know, it's just stupid, right? But I was a huge fan of George Clinton, too. So Cube was like, hey, if I could get George Clinton to be on your shit, how would that be? I was like, you could get George Clinton? He was Ice Cube. Of course he could get George Clinton. And he did. And George Clinton ended up contributing to a number of songs on the album, including Dr. Bombay. Has anybody seen them? Head swell. I get paid well. Kick it much tail. Drink me a 40 as a rhyme or an awesome. You don't like it? Well, you got the kiss. Where the sun don't shine. I studied how he came up with Parliament versus like Funkadelic. You know what I'm saying? Like I really studied the funk hella hard. But when it came to creating music, he would use whatever he got his hands on, including the sample for what would become his biggest single. I grew up, I was a big fan of the monkeys, right? Oh, and I saw her face. Somehow I came across a record of their shit, like a real record. So it had some other ill shit on there, like shit that was like skits, I guess you could say. You know what I'm saying? So they have one called uh, Zilch. Zilch. Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina, Mr. Davalina, Mr. Bob Davalina. Zilch. China Clipper calling Alameda. China Clipper calling Alameda. Zilch. China Clipper calling Alameda. Like a game that was playing Zilch. Just like some fucking tongue twister shit. Just because I had the ability to loop some shit, I just wanted to loop some stupid shit just to see what it would sound like. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina. Did that. It was like, okay. And then from there, it developed into a song about motherfuckers at school, basically, that just wasn't not hip to me. Mr. Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, Mr. Bob Doublelina, want to quit? You really make me sick your fraudulent behavior you're gonna make me flip and then an army couldn't save you why don't you behave you little rug rat take a little tip from the tabloid because i know i'm not paranoid but before they could call their song done they had to get it in the hands of dj Pooh. Cube was good because he had that ear for the street he had that street ear commercially i think he knew what could work but dell wasn't the typical commercial act and it was gonna take somebody else to see that who be like hey dell man that one shit you had i like that shit man we about to do that shit man fuck that shit and dj Pooh was a producer that he could trust with his music when Pooh told me he produced jack the ripper Jack the Ripper, King Hercules by LL. Like, dude, you produced that? I was like, you the man, dude. So Dell had no problem giving Mr. Dabalina over to DJ Pooh to see what he could do with it. Pooh took that and then just filled it in. Mr. 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 Dabalina. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. 
I think I got a kind of personality that's childish, kind of. I just sampled that shit being stupid. Just It just, uh, it amused me. In a childish way, it amused me enough to just make a song out of it. In the summer of 1991, they released the single Sleeping On My Couch. I had it up to here with these lazy cats. Again, sleeping on my couch and I'm tired of that. Followed by the single, Mr. Dabalina. And in the fall of 1991, Dell the Funky Homo Sapiens' debut album, I Wish My Brother George Was Here, was released on Electra Records. And the single, Mr. Dabalina, hit the charts, peaking at number six on the U.S. Hot Rap Songs chart and making it all the way to Australia, Austria, Germany, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, and Sweden. And he got to commemorate this whole event with an album release party. Funkmaster Flex DJed it. Boosie Collins was in the house. Q-Tip was there. Cube was there. Jamalski was there. And Jamalski came with the shenanigans. So Jamalski roll up. I'm like, what's happening? He like, mushroom tea, mushroom tea. I'm like, what, what you talking about? I got the mushroom tea. He was talking about shrooms. He let me get some of the mushroom tea. So I'm performing. I'm lit. And this is where everything goes sideways. I think I forget, I forget my lyrics. I start kicking the fucking speakers and shit. I'm on some punk rock shit, right? This is his album release party. And as far as he knew, he had just fucked up. I'm thinking I bombed or whatever. Layla set the run was doing my shit at, at the time. And they was like a big publicity firm at the time. Dell gets off stage and he runs straight into his publicist. And he's thinking that he just embarrassed everybody. She comes up. Dell, man, you killed him, Dell. They thought that was the craziest show ever. Like, I think it reminded them of some, like, punk rock shit, like, for real. And it was time to take this show on the road. In order to promote the album, he went out on tour. It was cute. So that's WC, Coolio was on the road. They're also on the road with the duo called Black Sheep. You can get with this or you can get with that. And of course, Dell the Funky Homo Sapiens. Everything's cool since the style of apparel you adopted. You used to make fun of, but now you want a rocket. This was his first time seeing the industry up close and personal. One moment, he was a kid from the Bay. And the next, he's on a tour bus going all around the country with a hit record. This lasted all throughout 1992. And as he was gearing up to record his second album, he had to come to terms with the fact that he wasn't going to be able to please everybody. With the second album, I think it was like, I was confused. I got back to the town and my record was done and like a lot of like purists was like lightweight clowning me like, oh, you rapping over this G-Funk shitter. And to make matters worse, I ended up not even really getting paid nothing for my first record, but I still had taxes and all this shit. And I didn't know about none of that, so I ended up having to go bankrupt. And he was still in the midst of recording his sophomore album. So amidst the criticism and everything else that he was going through, he decided to make a change. So I think in rebellion of that, I'm going to do everything I wanted to do on the first album. The first album, he leaned into the funk, but he also gave the world a more commercial album than he wanted to create. But now, the walls were coming down around his creativity. I rearranged my vocals in your headphones. I hope to like get an answer. Acknowledge and abolish all the whack records. Hieroglyphics should no respect. Who caught the harm? You caught the form. If you're a friend, there's no need for a law. And I was basically introducing the rest of Hieroglyphics, too, with that. You know, fools know that my crew's so fat. If niggas try to jack, then I know they got my back. A plus, 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 the white feather. 
shit So peep the style and learn how to freak shit I hope ya learn how to cope By the time you be this shit here yeah, I'll be three times doper, yeah Dell was reaching out to his friends back in the Bay. A-plus and Tajay teamed up with Festo and Opio to create Souls of Mischief. They, along with Dell, Casual, and a few others, became known as Hieroglyphics. So, like, it, I just felt like it was the perfect time. Like, they coming out and they really repping that. And at this time, while Dell is experimenting with the sound and reaching out to his homies back in the Bay, he's flying back and forth from the West Coast to New York to record his album. When I was in New York, I really felt like energized like yeah everything i'm talking about motherfuckers get it whole way i'm moving they get it you know what i'm saying like that that part was everything that i thought it would be and he was making some pretty important friends i got a lot of support from sophia chang she just believed in my shit like she worked for jive records so she's not like she worked for electra you know what i'm saying but like i practically lived at her apartment but I let her peep my shit. She's like, man, Dell, this shit is crazy. Like, he had switched up the style of production from the first album. Instead of leaning so heavily on P-Funk influences, he decided to go a different direction. But when it came to his cousin Ice Cube... I think he felt kind of bad at first. Like, man, I did what you wanted. You wanted George come in? I got him. Like, Rise of Funkenstein, I got him. Like, you wasn't complaining when we was doing it. Like, Nevertheless, Cube eventually came around. And ahead of the album's release, he was a part of the soundtrack to a big movie, Made in America, starring Whoopi Goldberg, Will Smith, and Ted Danson. So I rapped about what Made in America meant to me, basically. Made in America, where I get placed on the totem pole, I got soul. Cause I'm a black man, never sell a crack in the track of police. In the fall of 1993, Del the Funky Homo Sapien released his sophomore album, No Need for Alarm. It was a unique album that was special because it featured production and vocals from the hieroglyphics. The album charted on Billboard 200, and it added to his legacy in hip-hop and especially to his legacy in Oakland. It was just a community, like the community, and then the community start growing around you, you know what I'm saying? I seen the hip-hop community in Oakland, like, grow damn near around us, you know what I'm saying? So like I could see a trend of people doing the same shit we was doing. But this kid from Oakland who spent a lot of his time watching cartoons and imagining a world where he could make his own mark. That kid went on to make it to the top. Then he brought his friends along with him. It was like, you know, it was like an inspiration, which was cool actually, because I see a lot of people got to be they self and not have to trip like, okay, I could be myself and I don't have to fit into whatever the hell you think is what I need to do to be cool or whatever. Like, I could just do my own thing. Delta Funky Homo Sapien has continued to release albums. And in 2001, he took a new generation by storm, collaborating with the band Gorillaz for their single, Clint Eastwood. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. Now, time for me is nothing because I'm counting no A's. Now, I couldn't be there. Now, you shouldn't be scared. These days, when you think about hip-hop, you think of the cool kids. You think of money and fame. But it's really interesting to sit and think about how it did not used to be that way. As you heard, people were telling Dell that he was throwing his life away by participating in hip-hop. Think about the type of obsession you have to have. The type of foresight. The willingness to be humiliated. But also the certainty that you were doing something worthwhile. There's so much pressure in our world to show up perfectly. To be somebody acceptable. But it's worth mentioning that as we look back at all the stories we've told on this show, most of the guys that got involved with hip-hop and literally paved the way for the cool kids took a lot of heat. 
This year, hip-hop turns 50. And as we celebrate hip-hop's golden year, our look back at the golden era has to be seen through honest lenses. To most of the world, this was not supposed to happen. And as we stand here five decades later, people like Dell the Funky Homo Sapien, Chubb Rock, Young MC, Grand Pooba, Mellow Man Ace, Cool Kim, and all of the other people that we've interacted with in this show and have yet to interact with deserve their spot in our Hall of Fame. Because it wasn't just that they stumbled across a new way to make music. It's that they found a way to express themselves when everybody called them weird, called them losers, and thought that they were just wasting their time. This one is for hip-hop, but it's also for the people who've been involved and the people who continue to show up as themselves to innovate. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith. Executive producer, DJ Cheapshot. Chris Barnett got the mushroom team. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Music by The Math Club. Artwork by Ray Allen Davis. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, at Fresh Era Podcast. I'm on Instagram, at I am Craig Smith. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't be shy. Go to stupid-fly.com to pick up merchandise and stay up to date on what all we have going on. See you on the next episode of Fresh Era. Era.